This is all being orchestrated from the Biden White House. We know that because Custodia was one of the targets of the Biden White House's crackdown. In fact, it was the first company that was cracked down upon. And in coordination, the Federal Reserve and the White House coordinated to, to, to take Custodia down first. There are multiple lawsuits that where, where federal agencies have decided to, as I call it, bet the farm on the outer boundaries of their own jurisdictions. And if they lose those lawsuits, their wings might be clipped by the court systems. And we've seen two of those decisions now, and they're wing-clipping decisions. Why is there so much interest in these offshore entities? It's because of what the, the regulatory world has done to those of us who are trying to create onshore entities that were regulatory compliant. Walkware is proud to partner with Global X Digital, the premier US-based Bitcoin mining company. We've integrated their state-of-the-art mining facility with the Blockware Marketplace. Located just outside of Oklahoma City, this 320 megawatt site is powered by 100% renewable energy. We've just plugged in hundreds of brand new Antminer S19 XPs at their site, which you can purchase through the Blockware Marketplace and start mining in minutes. At 141 terahash, these machines are the most profitable ASICs currently available on the market. Hosting rates begin as low as 7.5 cents per kilowatt hour. Listings on the marketplace are priced extremely competitively. And the best part, based on current mining dynamics, these machines will remain profitable through and beyond the 2024 halving. For more information, email sales at blockwaresolutions.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week, I have on Caitlin Long. Caitlin, welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. Uh, let's jump right into it. So this morning, we saw Grayscale won its lawsuit against the SEC over converting its fund into a spot Bitcoin ETF. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, it was quite a shellacking. It wasn't just the, the, the outcome. It was what the court said to the SEC. And uh, there are three, at least three major lawsuits or have been three major lawsuits facing the SEC that the SEC has brought. It brought it, it chose to go down this path of essentially, you know, really trying to kill crypto and putting the outer boundaries of its own jurisdiction at risk in doing so. And I saw somebody today say two down, a third to go, which is the third being the, the main Coinbase case, and then um, the first one being the Ripple case. And I don't think the SEC expected to lose uh, partially the Ripple case as it did. I think it thought that was a slam dunk. And uh, I mean, heck, um, if the Ripple ICO wasn't a securities offering in, in its entirety, then a lot of other things were not either. And in particular, the secondary market trading, you saw a lot of exchanges immediately relist XRP. And then after this morning, oh boy, has the grayscale um, decision had an impact on Bitcoin markets today. I was just talking this morning with a, a good friend who was a client of mine in the late 1990s. And we've stayed in touch that entire time. And he's a terrific sector rotator. You know who I'm talking about if you're listening to our to this podcast. And uh, he, he told me this morning before the news even broke 
that uh, he saw what was going on with Bitcoin and bought some GBTC and MicroStrategy this morning. What incredible timing that was for him. Congratulations. Your, your portfolio customers obviously are very happy today. But, uh, but long story short, um, bringing it back, you know, we've, there are multiple lawsuits that where, where federal agencies have decided to, uh, to, as I call it, bet the farm on their, the, the outer boundaries of their own jurisdictions. And if they lose those lawsuits, their wings might be clipped by the court systems. And we've seen two of those decisions now, and they're wing-clipping decisions. Um, they're going to be probably appealed, but... Uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Grab the popcorn uh, because the momentum has has shifted really strongly. And I I am still shocked that the Biden administration. Let's face this: this is this is all being orchestrated from the Biden White House. We know that because Custodia was one of the targets of the Biden White House's crackdown. In fact, it was the first company that was cracked down upon. And in coordination, the Federal Reserve and the White House coordinated to, to, to take Custodia down first. And then every week thereafter in Operation Choke Point 2.0 and this all of government Biden administration led, Biden White House led crackdown on crypto. It's been stunning to watch, but things are starting to actually shake out in the court system now. And uh, keep your eyes open because more will. I'm sure these will be appealed, these decisions. The SEC already said it's going to appeal the Ripple decision. Um, but boy, it, it doesn't have a lot of momentum, shall we say. The momentum is in the exact opposite direction. And uh, when I see the number of people, not just from typical crypto Twitter, but from more mainstream social media, I engage a lot with people on LinkedIn, which there's a different universe. My crypto Twitter follower universe is definitely a different universe than my TradFi dominated followers on LinkedIn. And the the TradFi folks on LinkedIn are sensing something big shifted here in the momentum. And, uh, and, and I posted this morning, again, this, this comment that I'm shocked that the Biden White House was willing to bet the farm on, these, on the boundaries of these federal agencies' jurisdiction on these lawsuits. It was their own choice not to work with the companies that were actively trying to work with them. I would put Custodia in that bucket and instead to just fight and take the companies that tried the hardest to work with them and treat them the harshest. And it's now boomeranging back and it's fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. For those that may not be following you super closely, can you explain what is Custodia and why do you think the Biden government has cracked down on Custodia specifically? Well, uh, it was that Custodia Bank is a bank that's designed to bridge the U.S. dollars and digital assets, predominantly Bitcoin. Um, and we applied to become a Fed member bank. And once we got our charter, we also applied to bank directly at the Fed with something called a master account. Um, Congress specified that the Fed shall provide services to all eligible depository institutions. It was determined that Custodia is an eligible depository institution. That is public information. The Fed gave us that determination. And so if the law means what the law says, then the Federal Reserve shall provide services to Custodia, and it has not. Uh, and so that is um, that caused a, a, a lot of... of 
challenges for Custodia, but we figured out how to get open. We launched late, but in but it launched nonetheless in July with U.S. dollar services and money market services. We're not operating in all states, so to be clear, check our website or contact us at info at custodiabank.com to determine whether we are operating in your state. Uh, we're serving businesses only, not consumers, and um, we are on the verge, knock on wood, of going live with Bitcoin custody soon. There's no specific date, but it is public information that we submitted our required advanced regulatory notice to the Wyoming Division of Banking back in April. Uh, and uh, the state statute requires the bank regulators to come in and, and do an exam. So we're in that exam line. Uh, and uh, at some point, hopefully knock on wood soon, we'll have Bitcoin Custody Live as well, right in time for the, the bull market, which I think has probably already begun um, uh, ahead of the, the Bitcoin halving next year. Nice. <clears throat> well, congrats on finally getting live. And it'll be great to see Bitcoin Custody go live as well. Um, I, I saw this tweet on Twitter that I think you interacted with, and it was something along the lines of some people see Bitcoin as, you know, an Armageddon bet. And however, Bitcoin is more of like an optimistic bet for a better world. I agree with that. I don't know. I think you agree with that. Can you maybe explain why you see Bitcoin as an optimistic bet? Yeah, I, I think it's both. I think it is an insurance policy. It hasn't behaved that way. And folks who have observed that it's actually been more pro-cyclical than counter-cyclical are not wrong. But that doesn't mean it won't be counter-cyclical at some point in the future. If there's ever, God forbid, a systemic collapse, I do expect Bitcoin to become counter-cyclical, but I don't want to live in that world. Uh, and so the optimistic bet on Bitcoin, which I think is what really is the near-term orientation is that it is a better, faster, cheaper, and trustless way for people to move money. And uh, in particular, I'm thinking about uh, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. River just put out its own um, Lightning node volume today. A lot of folks have been noticing that, that there are fewer payment channels in the Lightning Network. Well, that's because Software is being built to optimize it and make it efficient. And so there are a lot more payments going through Lightning. Let's step back. What is the Lightning Network? It's the way that Bitcoin is being scaled. Bitcoin itself has become a high value transfer network. You really can't use Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks, but you can use the Lightning Network, which is anchored to Bitcoin to buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks because the fees are zero to, to, to very low. The, the fees on opening a, uh, on, on, on lightning payments, the inherent cost is whatever it costs to open and close the channel, but a payment channel can stay open indefinitely between two parties and they may never end up um, closing it out on the base layer Bitcoin blockchain when they have fees to pay, right? So um, you can see how this is something that could scale Bitcoin significantly. It is scaling. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that I'm super excited about. What does that mean? Okay, eight and a half billion people in the world, or whatever the final population number is right now, it's more than eight billion. Eight billion people in the world can download the Lightning Network code and transact in whatever fiat currency they want to transact in using the Lightning Network already today. The Lightning Network just, just collateralizes the value of the fiat with... Bitcoin in the payment channel. So you can, you can use whatever fiat currency 
you want to. You have the ability now, these 8 billion people in the world can, if they know how to operate the code, transact, can, can create and transact in fiat currencies using the Lightning Channel today. And that is enormously threatening to the banking system. Uh, and how the banking system deals with this, I'm not just talking in the U.S., I'm talking globally. Um, it's, it's really empowering to individuals. And how the banking system deals with this is going to be one of the big questions, I think, coming up over the next five years. Yeah, 100%. We've seen kind of chaos in the crypto space, especially last year, whether it was FTX, BlockFi, Celsius, and, and Prime Trust now is kind of a more recent one. Yeah. Um, we keep seeing more news about Prime Trust specifically. I, I think the most recent thing I saw was they may have invested customer funds into Terra Luna. What are your thoughts Gee. on what Prime Trust has done? Uh, well, it, what comes to mind is a conversation I had with one of the earliest Bitcoiners, and we were debating whether 90% or 99% of the crap in the crypto industry just needs to burn and die, okay? And some of what you're just asking me about, I would put into that category. Um, uh, literally, what was a company acting as a fiduciary that had a trust company charter doing investing in Terra Luna? Come on. Um, and if you look at the terms of its customer agreement, uh, even though it was outright telling folks that it was doing one thing, it sure does appear that it had the ability and actually did do something different. When I say the ability to, it was authorized in the customer agreement. Read the fine print, okay? So I think, um, you know, unfortunately, I have said that that failure, Prime Trust, is even more significant than the failures of the other companies because FTX was never licensed, okay? That wasn't a regulatory failure in the sense that um, they didn't have regulators with the exception of FTX US, um, which was a, a standalone subsidiary and and this was this is the old LedgerX. That got sold, it's still operating, it's fine, right? That was CFTC regulated. But for the rest of FTX, it really wasn't registered and regulated for the most part, okay? So, so which regulator has egg on their face? I would argue it's the U.S. regulators for allowing that unregulated offshore entity to do so much business onshore in the U.S. And, and for the money that was made illegally to be spread around in Washington, D.C. to buy influence, okay? Um, but I'll get off my soapbox on that. Um, back to Prime Trust, my biggest fear is that that was the most regulated, right? If you think about the types of legal entities that are available to the crypto industry in the US, it's money transmitters and trust companies. There is a pyramid where money transmitters are the easiest license to get, trust company is the next easiest, and then banks, by far, by far, the hardest license to get. Okay, other than Bank of New York Mellon, which the Fed approved to do Bitcoin and ETH custody, the banks really aren't here yet. Custodia is a bank, uh, and we're about to launch Bitcoin custody. So legally, banks are in a different zip code. Um, just a totally different level of capital, totally different level of regulation, totally different level of technology requirements. Not easy for fintechs to convert to banks. There was just a, an article in the FT this morning that talked about that very thing. However, um, now if you step back with Prime Trust, what 
again, if you use this pyramid, very easy to get money transmitter licenses. Okay, Celsius was a money transmitter um, and BlockFi, etc. And the, then the next level up is trust companies. That's what everybody, including Coinbase, is right now. Um, that's the not everybody. Uh, Circle is it didn't get a trust company charter, but but many of the custodians have trust company charters, and they call themselves qualified custodians. Well, there's some debate as to whether a trust company can be a qualified custodian under the SEC rules. There's no debate whether a bank can be. But um, long story short, now you have a, a, re a state regulator that got burned very badly by misbehavior at Prime Trust, potentially even rising to the level of illegal behavior at Prime Trust we don't know yet. But how do you think that state regulator is going to react going forward when others really want to open trust company charters? And how do you think the other 49 state regulators are going to react? Because those regulators all talk to each other. So this is a long buildup to say I think Prime Trust actually has an even bigger negative impact on the real regulatory structure in the U.S. because Somebody took advantage of a state that wanted to be helpful to this industry and work with it and got burned by it. And whatever happened at Prime Trust, if there were crimes committed, then those executives deserve what they get. And I hope law enforcement throws the book at them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a disappointing situation, but I guess at this point it is what it is. Do you have thoughts on, on Binance? I know some people have speculated that Binance may be running a similar type scheme to FTX where they had their BNB token that pumped a lot you know, in 2021 and then they borrowed a lot against it supposedly and maybe, maybe using customer funds to do other things. Do you buy into that theory at all or do you think that's just kind of nonsense? I haven't done any research on that. I've, I've certainly read the... The, the allegations of that, and I have no insight. I've never met CZ, and uh, so at this point, I don't have anything to add. Um, a lot of folks are watching, and a lot of folks are watching Tether um, as well, which uh, you know has stayed offshore and continues to clear U.S. dollars with a very small universe of customers. It doesn't appear to have gone out of business, and and uh, in spite of the U.S. regulators' efforts. So, you know, one of the ironies of all of this is that the offshore entities, FTX included, by the U.S. regulators not trying to find a regulated pathway for the law-abiding onshore companies to use, a lot of the volume has just ended up by default going to offshore, more shadowy, less regulatory compliant companies. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone specifically other than FTX, but the punchline is uh, you know, the U.S. regulators have, have got it asked backwards. If they, if they want to try to, to keep, this on, keep this in the regulatory perimeter where they can watch the activity, then they need a pathway for that. The courts are essentially forcing that with the SEC right now. Uh, and I think there should be a 180-degree turn and an embracing of that by regulators. I like to use the analogy here about the Internet itself or cell phone companies, right? Tor exists. You don't need to go through, uh, you don't need to use a browser. You don't need to use an ISP, okay? There are people who know how to operate the internet, internet from the command line interface. Why is it that the vast majority of people don't do that? 
if they if they had the skills they could but even those that have the skills often don't why because the user interface is so much better if you're going through a, an ISP in a browser um, the same thing is true with your cell phone right most people could mo most people who know how to how to make a phone call using the command line interfa interface don't they use an AT&T a T-Mobile a Verizon etc why because it is easier and more secure for them to do it that way. Now, I think the same thing is going to end up being true in, in financial services. Yes, there will always be dark markets in this technology. As you know, you can't stop software from running, no matter how much regulators try to ban it. Um, and so the, the incentive that they have is to have people, by design, use the lit markets. So that's how you minimize the amount of dark markets. And in the, in the meantime, what they're doing by taking the position that they have, they're just having all this activity in these offshore unregulated markets where, unfortunately, I'm sure there is criminal activity. And it, it's unfortunate because ultimately that all does boomerang back onshore in the form of whack-a-mole type situations for regulators who can't see where the exposures are in part because some of them are offshore and when they come onshore they might come onshore in ways that regulators weren't expecting so this whole thing makes no sense to me this whole anti-crypto crackdown of the biden administration and um i think that cooler heads are going to prevail it's starting to become an election issue and uh We'll see if um, in the in the rip roaring bull market, uh, if that does indeed occur next year, if, if past is prologue, we will see it again after the halvening. There is a J curve that that tends to happen after Bitcoin halvenings. The next halvening is in April 2024, and we typically see the bull markets within say six to ten months ish after the. Havening occurs after that J curve uh, starts to, to hit the upswing. And Satoshi, I'm sure, timed those happenings to coincide with U.S. presidential cycles. The happening is a four-year cycle. The U.S. presidential is a four cycle is a four-year cycle. That is no accident. And so it's fascinating. I think it's just going to be such a fun year next year. Yeah, I tend to agree. I do want to dive a little bit deeper into like bullish catalysts for Bitcoin, but you, you brought up an interesting point earlier about Tether, how, you know, a lot of capital has flowed to like these offshore type entities. It is interesting though, that like Tether has survived this past downtrend. If they are holding T-bills legitimately, they're one of the most profitable companies in the entire space, just sitting on, you know, $70 yeah. billion worth of T-bills and doing nothing. So it's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, if it's legit, which I'm, who am I to say if it is or it isn't? <laughs> it's one of the greatest mysteries, right? So, you know, these, uh, <laughs> again, like, it's kind of like, why, why, why are so many people interested in Bitcoin? Yes, there's tech to Bitcoin. It is great. However, if fiat currencies weren't being debased right and left, do you think there'd be that much interest in crypto just for the tech? No, there is a huge group of folks who are here because they recognize that fiat currencies are worth with their intrinsic value, which is essentially zero, right? Um, it's just control P, right? <laughs> and you can, you can create more units of whatever fiat currency is being managed by the central bank. And as the more and more folks realize that, 
especially the, the younger folks, the more they're interested in alternatives that can't be diluted so easily. Um, so let's face it, that's, that's a part of it as well. And, and so it's, you know, why is there so much interest in these offshore entities? It's because of what the, the regulatory world has done to those of us who are trying to create onshore entities that were regulatory compliant. It's the, and it's the same thing as why is there so much interest in crypto? It's because of what those who are managing the U.S. dollar are doing to it. Yeah, 100%. How do you see, since you have such in-depth experience of the banking industry, how do you see like the dollar system and Bitcoin evolving more like in the long term, like over the next 10 to 20 years? Do you see them being in like a symbiotic relationship? Do you see them being enemies? How do you see it playing out? Hey, everyone. This week, I want to talk about Stamp Seed. This is very cool metal plate where you can literally stamp your Bitcoin seed phrase with this hammer that they sell you into this metal plate. This is a must have for all Bitcoin holders. If you have taken self custody of your Bitcoin, you wanna make sure you've recorded your seed phrase on something that is fireproof, waterproof, and time resistant. This is a great product for Bitcoiners who have taken self custody and want that extra level of security and resiliency to store their Bitcoin. So if you are interested in this product, definitely check out stampseed.com. Use code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off the entire website. Yes, it's symbiotic. And I, for one thing, I don't think either ecosystem should hurt the other. And unfortunately, because of the way the regulators have, have played it, that's exactly what happened, right? You saw some of the, some of the crypto activities increase the speed of bank runs and take down a couple of banks earlier this year that were heavy into, into just tech forward activities of which only some was crypto. Um, and then of course you've seen the debanking of this industry cause companies to do strange things. I mean, if you go back and look at the history of Tether and why it was created and, and why it really took off at the, at, in 2017, um, towards the end of that, that bull market, it was because of the debanking wave that took place in the fall of 2017, arguably, that certainly created um, a, a big impetus for it. Had that debanking wave not occurred back then, and that, uh, what I'm talking about is Wells Fargo cutting off the correspondent relationship with the bank that Tether was using at that time. It was a Puerto Rico bank. I can't remember the name of it, but um, necessity became the mother of invention. And so they created an entirely separate U.S. dollar payment rail. And that was the birth of the stablecoin market. Stablecoins, uh, uh, in, in mainstream finance, I, I talked to somebody who was in Jackson Hole at the big economic brouhaha over the weekend, symposium in Jackson Hole, my, my home state of Wyoming. And um, nobody was talking about crypto at all, except for everybody was talking about stablecoins. So, um, and, and that's because everyone understands this is actually a better payment rail. You can have programmable money. It doesn't have to go through SWIFT. Yes, FedNow has been introduced, uh, which is definitely better than the old FedWire. Essentially, FedNow is an upgrade for the old FedWire. It's now running 24-7, 365, uh, but it's not programmable and it's only domestic payments. Uh, right now, there isn't a way to make, to make payments 
overseas, you still have to go through the SWIFT network and central bank to central bank in the clearing behind the scenes to, to move money through the traditional system. So uh, there's no question that the, the whole stablecoin market is valuable technology. And I am not surprised to hear that the glitterati in Jackson Hole, that's what they were talking about vis-a-vis -vis crypto, because that's, that's a big deal. Uh, and, and again, it, 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 if, if the regulators didn't want that to be invented, they could have just kept banking as opposed to debanking the, the crypto industry. I just shake my head at, at some of these decisions that get made that boomerang back on the regulators and cause their problems to get even harder. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm curious to get your your thoughts on this one as well. So, some people say like Bitcoin is a super collateral that you know could potentially be borrowed against. Other people argue that Bitcoin is very volatile, so you definitely never want to borrow against Bitcoin. Where do you stand on that front? Do you see Bitcoin as being an asset that can be used as collateral for for debt creation, or do you think that's just not a good idea to begin with? Well, it's not a good idea to begin with. Any leverage that's above one to one means that the that the financial system, it, 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 that the that where the debt creation is is happening, there, there's somebody insolvent in that financial system. You can go up to one to one leverage, but the moment you go above one to one leverage, somebody's insolvent. Somebody's just rolling the dice, and um, that's fractional reserve banking, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is essentially making a bet that not everyone will want to take their money out of that system at the same time. Because the moment everyone does, or enough people do, then the debt spiral collapses. Okay, so I am not in favor of a debt spiral being built on top of Bitcoin at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, long story short, um, uh, it, it, I'm hoping that it doesn't end up that the, that the games that, tr that traditional finance have been able to play with fiat money systems cannot be played with Bitcoin. We have seen those be played. I mean, that's ultimately what happened in that caused especially BlockFi to go down. They at least admitted that they were rehypothecating customer funds. And what you had is this whole circular reference uh, leverage spiral that created all this debt in the system. And then boom, when it all went went haywire, it all unwound and it's still unwinding. There are still some bankruptcies to come of insolvent entities out there that haven't been flushed by the system. They all will be. But at the end of the day, back to your question on, on collateral, given that that's the characteristic, yeah, Bitcoin is, is, is collateral with no counterparty risk. In that regard, as a financial asset, it's very similar to gold, um, except that it can be moved a lot faster and cheaper than gold can be moved. Um, and so it, it all depends in the value of Bitcoin as collateral, the moneyness of it, if you will, all depends on what is the counterparty credit risk in the system. During good times, there really isn't much differentiation. During rough times, there can be enormous differentiation. And owning the asset, this gets back to the question you asked about Mike Alfred's tweet about Bitcoin and not necessarily just being Armageddon insurance, it's also an optimistic asset. Um, those, those Armageddon scenarios where nobody is a creditworthy counterparty because the whole fiat thing is unwinding, um, boy, Bitcoin will shine in that environment. But in a, in a low counterparty credit risk environment where nobody's really doing any counterparty credit risk analysis, then, then Bitcoin as collateral doesn't really add much.
Yeah, very fair. Um, where do you see, or do you have an opinion on this interest rates? Like people have been able to sit for a number of months now on T bills earning 5% with, you know, little, I guess, dollar denominated risk. Yep. Um, where do you see interest rates going from here? Do they, do you see them going up? Do you see them going back down to zero at some point? What are your thoughts there? Well, I take the Fed at their word that they're not done. Uh, but here's the crazy thing about this environment. It's not the 1970s, um, in part because there's so much more debt outstanding right now. And as interest rates continue to go up, people who have a lot of cash, be they businesses or individuals, are benefiting because, you know, think about these huge cash piles. I think Apple's got a trillion dollars of cash on the balance sheet. Well, now... It's actually earning, in some ways, more on its just investing cash in T-bills than it is in its operating business. That is true of a lot of corporations that have big cash piles. Um, and those that issued debt, you know, when rates were 2 3%, now they're earning five and a quarter risk-free. Um, they've effectively become banks. We don't call them that, but that's what they've effectively become, right? Because the bulk of their revenues are coming off the earnings that, that they're earning off this cash pile, these cash piles. And what I'm talking about is these multinational companies that issue debt, in order, but, but the cash flow to service the debt is dividends that they expect to bring, bring back from their offshore subsidiaries. All that is invested in cash. It might be sitting in a British bank, for example, or sitting in T-bills through a British custodian. So it's in a, say, UK subsidiary in that example. But if it's earning five and a quarter, it's US dollars. You know, when they bring it back onshore in the US um, to pay the debt service at two or three percent, you can see how that's a pretty powerful arbitrage, right? And so the, basically what's happening is the rich are getting richer and the, Fed, the Fed's QT, quantitative tightening, has not actually tightened financial conditions, in part because as they keep increasing interest rates, the coupon payments on short-term T-bills um, are putting a lot of cash back into the economy. So that's effectively quantitative easing, both on the existing T-bills plus the interest that the Fed is paying on reserves. So actually, you can't look at just the Fed's balance sheet and say financial conditions are getting tighter. You have to look at the big picture. And in fact, actually, they haven't really been tightening until very recently. Um, how much the Fed is able to get away with in terms of tightening, we don't know. But this is a different environment. And that's part of the reason why inflation has been very sticky. But it is also fueling the anger these are literally the rich men north of Richmond um, who are keeping, you know, who, who keep raising interest rates and folks who don't have cash and aren't the beneficiaries of what is effectively welfare to rich people in this country are getting angrier and angrier. And you're seeing it in the pop in the popular culture. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, that song was was pretty good. You mentioned earlier about rehypothecation, how you know, like <laughs> BlockFied basically did that. When or if eventually an ETF comes out, um, which seems obviously like that will be more likely sooner rather than later, um, is there risk to rehypothecation when it comes to holding a Bitcoin ETF? Are there better ways to hold Bitcoin? Well, the best way to hold Bitcoin is to self-custody it. Then you know you have it. Um, and I would encourage everyone 
to learn how to self-custody. Heck, I did it before it was that easy to do. It's a lot of work to teach yourself, but it's a lot less work than it used to be and a lot easier than it used to be. Um, so yeah, uh, the ramp obligation is, is a problem. <laughs> um, and, and I've been railing against it for as long as I've been writing publicly because in essence, you have multiple people who think they own the same asset. And this is where financial institutions play a legal game of three card Monty, or at least a, a likely legal game. There's some question as to whether the practice is legal in some states. It, it probably runs afoul of some states fraud laws. But um, it is common practice. Go read the fine print in your brokerage firm. All of your brokerage agreements are likely to use the word rehypothecation. It's one of those big, scary-sounding words that not a lot of people know what it means. And uh, it's actually, unfortunately, also one of the ways that um, Wall Street subtly picks the pockets of mom and pop. And uh, the reason is that you have these what's called collateral chains. Again, Multiple people think they own the same asset at the same time, but there's really only one asset. And if that collateral chain ever collapses and everybody wants the real thing and the collateral becomes really scarce because everybody's starting to hoard it, that's the scenario where financial conditions can get very tight very fast and you see market collapses. And we've lived through several of those. And as the, as the leverage keeps getting built on the traditional financial system, the instability of the system keeps getting higher and we see that in the fact you know we have in, um, we have collapses of increasing amplitude and severity um, and 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 it, I would encourage folks to read the history there's a historian of the, the the Weimar hyperinflation called when money dies that was written in the 1970s by Adam Ferguson a British historian not a an economist not somebody who injects a lot of politics into this question. And uh, he, he talks about what happens when monetary systems are dying. And the thing I took away from reading that book now 15 years ago for the first time was exactly what we're seeing now. You start to see the amplitude of corrections increasing, and then you start to see the frequency of them increasing as well. So that at the very end, um, you know, we, everybody always looks at the at hyperinflations on a log scale, but if you don't look at it on a log scale and you start to zero in on discrete periods where you can really see what's happening, you see incredible head fakes. And that happened many times as well during the Weimar hyperinflation before the currency finally collapsed. Everybody kept saying, oh, the central banks have slayed inflation now and it's finally over. But it wasn't. It was just revving up for the next round of the collapse. Um, so I, I think that's what's happening here. But again, this may or may not happen during our lifetimes. It's pretty obvious that if you're piling more debt onto a balance sheet, then the, the, the assets are generating in cash flow to service that debt. Eventually, you get upside down. And when you can stop selling new debt, that's when it starts to come unwound. We saw a failed JGB auction in Japan recently. I think the moment there's a, a failed U.S. Treasury auction in the U.S., people start to get very worried. But I worry that at that point, the leverage in the system is so great that it might be too late. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so we are going, this is probably one of the last questions, and we can go ahead and wrap it up. So we are going into 2024 soon, the next yeah. Bitcoin halving, as you mentioned earlier. 
macro environment is kind of tight right now, but it seems like it's at a certain point there, it's going to reverse course and the, we're going to have major tailwinds. Do you see some people, however, some people argue like, okay, the having is priced in and yeah. Bitcoin, you know, may not go up after the having, do you have an argument as to like why the having is not priced in and like what other catalysts, I guess, do you see, or is that enough? Like the having and macros enough and we're just going to fly high sometime in 2024 or 2025. Yeah. It's the biggest one by far, the biggest, the biggest macro factor for Bitcoin. And it's not correlated to anything else other than the U.S. presidential election cycle, because it always happens about six months before the election, U.S. presidential elections. Again, I think Satoshi did that by design. So it makes it very interesting. Um, so, but here's the thing. It's a fundamental thing. So there was a lot of debate last time in the, in the halving of 2020 was it priced in? Efficient markets hypothesis. Everyone's saying, well, this is so well telegraphed. The market knows about it. Perfect information. It must be priced in. And guess what? It wasn't. Why? Because it's a fundamental thing. The miners will literally keep mining until the very moment that their machines are no longer profitable. And then they'll shut those machines off en masse. And then they have to liquidate whether their companies survive or not, or they just liquidate their companies. They're selling their Bitcoin. And that's what creates that J curve, right? You typically see a dip after the, after the happening because you actually see a lot of selling. And, then, um, and then, then, you know, you start to get on the upswing of that J curve and off, off to the races. Uh, and this pattern, I just saw a very interesting chart this morning that talked about um, the, the, the realized price, where Bitcoin is in terms of the various uh, measures of realized price. And it's just repeating the previous cycles. Again, that's because this is all fundamental stuff. Um, this is not technical. This is not created by traders all trying to work off the same chart book. This is fundamental. And um, it, it all has to do with the mining cycle and uh, the, the, the shutdown of profitable miners that will literally happen on the day of the of the happening, and those miners will never come back online. So we've seen the dips um, in in hash rate. We're at all time high network hash rate right now. I do expect that to dip after the happening. And uh, what's fun about that ha about that chart is it's higher highs and higher lows. When the dips happen, as mining rigs get turned off on mass, they've been at at higher hash rates than the previous highs. And certainly versus the previous lows. Up until the collapse of FTX, that was also true of the Bitcoin price. But we actually broke through where the low in this cycle pierced the high of the previous cycle. So it's no longer the, the case in Bitcoin that it's higher highs and higher lows. But in hash rate, it still is. And ultimately, that's what keeps the network secure. And I keep a, a, a big eye on that hash rate. We do expect it to dip after the the next happening uh but um i think we'll, we'll be off to the races again there will be the inevitable consolidation of of miners some of the miners that are just barely profitable right now will not be profitable when the block reward is cut in half to uh 3.125 bitcoins per block and that's that's a 50 percent cut in revenues it forces efficiencies into the mining market uh, but it also means Bitcoin is that much more scarce. And I love, maybe this is a great way to end. I love the fact that as a commodity, this will be, Bitcoin will be the scarcest monetary commodity ever 
used by humankind when the next happening occurs. And that is significant. Yeah, I love it. Completely agree. Caitlin, thanks so much for coming on. This is awesome. Where can the audience go learn more about you and Custodia? Uh, go to custodiabank.com, um, Twitter at Caitlin Long underscore and active on LinkedIn. Uh, and for those of you who are looking for uh, US dollar services in particular, if you're looking for yield, one thing I will say is the businesses that we've been talking to I've been surprised at how many have, because of the last decade, they haven't had an active treasury strategy to invest their company cash in a yielding asset. How many have just been leaving cash in, in virtually zero yielding bank accounts. Uh, and I think you're, we're going to see the rise of active treasury management. Come talk to us at Custodia Bank. Again, we can't service everybody. Uh, we can only operate in some states, but uh, come take a look at what options we have to help you solve that very specific near-term need that would be a win-win.